you would go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5 this morning as we are continuing our series through the book of Romans. And this morning we're looking at Christ's triumph over sin and death. And this morning, I get to combine two things that I love. I get to combine studying God's Word and Star Wars for about five minutes. Let me tell you, I've been waiting for this moment for about a year and a half now. I finally found that point where I can intersect both two for just a second. And the reason I do that is because there are some similarities to what we're going to be studying later in Scripture. And one of the major storylines, if you are familiar with the films, it's a story of redemption. But in our Scriptures this morning, we're going to be learning about the disobedience of Adam and the need and the coming and obedience of Jesus Christ. And what you're going to see in Scripture this morning is Paul's going to refer to Adam as the first man, Adam. And he's going to refer to Jesus Christ as the last Adam. But if you go back to, to talk about and think about the Star Wars series for just a moment, the Star Wars tale is a story of two Skywalkers. If you're familiar with anything of the series with the prequels, we were introduced to the first Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker. He is the lead in these. He is the man who would eventually become Darth Vader. But in these prequels, we learn that he faced the temptation to fall and give in to what is known as the dark side of the force. And he gave into it. He gave into death. He gave into destruction. And he gave into the chaos that would follow going down this path. But in contrast, in the series, we're introduced to the second Skywalker, known as Luke Skywalker. And what we learn in the movies is he faced the same temptations that can face. He faced the temptation of death, destruction, and chaos. But the difference between Anakin and Luke is that Luke was faithful and Luke was obedient to the vocation known as the Jedi. And he didn't give in and was swayed by what Anakin was swayed by. So if you really watch these first two series, the prequels and the originals, it's really a story of redemption. It's with Luke redeeming Anakin, his father, from that path that he chose to follow and in talking with George Lucas in an interview, he makes the statement that the entire Star Wars saga, the originals and the prequel, is a story of redemption. It's redeeming one who went a, down a different path. It is redeeming one who fell into temptation and chose to go a path that was contrary to what he believed and what he knew. And what we're going to see this morning in Scripture in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 this morning, we're going to see something very similar. But instead of the redemption of Anakin by Luke, we're going to see the redemption of Adam by Jesus Christ, where Star Wars is fiction. And yes, I know it is make-believe. I know it's not real, even though if it were possible, I would fly the Millennium Falcon in a heartbeat. But it's not real, so i got to go to Disney World to get close enough to it. But I know that's fiction. I know that's made up. But in studying Romans chapter 5, we learn the true story that is for the whole world. In Romans chapter 5, we learn about the first man, Adam, and we work to, through in Christ and what he's done 
and we learn about the future reign of Jesus Christ as we go from a creation to a new creation. Last week, if you were with us, Paul talked about personal salvation. Today, Paul is going to go from a wide-angle lens to a very tight lens to show us the specifics of the grand redemption story. This morning, as we look through this text, we are going to learn that Romans 5, 12 through 21, is the most relevant text that speaks to every human on this planet. It speaks to all of us, to where we are and where we have been. And I want to let you know that this morning, this text is an encouraging text because it points us to Jesus Christ and his triumph over sin and death. And it reminds the believers today that our security is in him. Listen, this morning you sang victory in Jesus. Why do you have victory in Jesus? Because you have security through what Jesus Christ did and accomplished on the cross for your sake. So as a child of God, you should sing to the top of your lungs, victory in Jesus. Because the believer has that victory. And we're going to learn more about that victory this morning. And the way that we can understand this, and I put this in your outline. Adam is the head of a race of sinners. Adam is the head of all of us. Adam was the first man that was born. Adam is also the first sinner and he brought sin into the world so because adam brought sin into the world there had to be redemption somebody had to come to redeem god's creation that is me and that is you so where adam is the head of the race of sinners christ is the head of a new race of redeemed people and those redeemed people are all those who trust in him if you trust in Jesus Christ this morning or have trust in Jesus Christ, you've already been redeemed. But if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you still are following under Adam's leadership in Adam's direction. And what I love about this section of Scripture is Romans 5 is explained very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and you might want to write that reference down on your study guide. You can look at it later. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for in Adam all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. In Adam, everyone dies. In Adam, you are going to face death. But in Christ, you are made alive. And we're going to see that explained this morning because either you are in Adam or you are in Christ. Those are the only two options you have as a human on this planet. If you are not a believer, you are in Adam because Adam is the head of sinners. But if you are in Christ, you have been redeemed. You've been made anew. What's very interesting as you study through this section of Scripture, specifically verses through 12 through 19, I would encourage you to notice the number of times you see the word one repeated. The word one repeated in verses 12 through 19. And in case you're wondering, it's 12 times. That word is repeated 12 times in Scripture. Paul is emphasizing our identity our identity either with Adam or with 
Christ. And this morning, there's a lot of emphasis on Adam's sin, his fall, and his death. But we don't want to miss what Paul's major concern is. Paul's concern is not to focus on what Adam did, but is to focus on what Christ did for us on the cross. And that's what we're going to see as we study this scripture. The emphasis here in verses 12 through 21, the emphasis is not on Adam's failure. That's not the emphasis, but it's on Christ and his triumph over sin and death. That's the focus of this section of scripture. Yes, it would be really easy to harp on Adam this morning because Adam messed up. We're going to talk about that in detail in just a few moments. But that's not what Paul's trying to emphasize here. But he has to show us what Adam did so we can learn about what Christ did for us on the cross. So this morning, as we're working through this section of Scripture, I want you to see the conflict that takes place in verses 12 through 14, the conflict. Follow along if you have your copy of God's Word. Verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgressions of Adam, who is a type of him who has come. Notice how Paul starts this section of scripture. The very first word you see in verse 12 is that word, therefore. It's another one of those therefore statements. And what Paul is doing, Paul is doing, he's picking up on what we looked at last week in verses 1 through 11, where last week we learned where Paul explained the believer's peace with God through Christ, his standing in the grace and the future glory to come, and how God has reconciled believers to himself through Jesus Christ. But as we look at verse 12 and take a very close-up look at verse 12, we see some basic truths about Adam, the fall that introduced sin and death into the world. We know by reading the Genesis narrative, we know what took place. We know that sin was not nearly breaking a rule or taking a bite of fruit. The sin that Adam committed was really treason. It was idolatry. It was Adam choosing to, his failure to love God and love himself even more. And ultimately, that first sin involved Adam and Eve trying to dethrone God. Because remember what the serpent told Eve in Genesis chapter 3? He told her, listen, if you eat the fruit, you'll be just like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. That's why he doesn't want you to touch it. Because when you do, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like him. So when Adam and Eve bit that fruit, they were telling God that God wasn't good enough. That God wasn't worthy enough to be followed, wasn't worthy enough to be worshipped. And in essence, they were trying to take God off his throne and put themselves in his place. And we have seen and we know the results of this disobedience because of the sin that is in the world today, this rebellion that is still going on. Notice something in these first few verses. There's kind of a chain reaction in verse 12. You follow it along. 
We know that sin entered the world through Adam. Adam's the first man, the first human created. So sin entered the world through Adam. But in verse 12, we also see that death entered the world through sin. Before sin ever entered, death wasn't even on the radar. Death wasn't even a thought. But because sin came in the world, death followed. So because of Adam, we have sin. Because of Adam, we have death in the world. But notice something. The death didn't just stay with Adam and Eve. It spread through the entire world. Look at verse 12 again. Look what it says. Through one man, that one man is Adam. And I'm going to tell you right now, for those of you who have your Bibles open this morning, when you see the word man in lowercase, that's Adam. When you see the man capitalized, that's Jesus. Just so you can keep it apart. Because not only do you see the word one repeated a lot, you see the word man repeated a lot. It says through one man, lowercase, sin into the world. But notice that verse, in death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Remember, Adam was created to rule the world for God. He was God's servant here. And remember, Adam was also told to subdue creation. But because of sin, because of Adam's sin, everything changed. Adam suffered alienation. He suffered corruption. He suffered death because he could not do what God called him and asked him to do. And because of that, you and I, as sinners, we experience alienation from God. We experience corruption. We experience death, and that is to all his descendants. I think about Adam was told to subdue creation, and I figured it out this morning. You know why your house cat won't listen to you when you say, come here? Because Adam sinned. I just figured that out this morning. Adam was told to subdue the animals. There's a reason why my cat looks at me and goes, huh? It's because of Adam. Now I know who's at fault. But it trickles down to us because of our sin is the same as what Adam did. It's not the same level, but it's the same sin when we choose to disobey God. We choose to do our own thing. Verse 12 makes that clear when it says that all sin. But listen, we don't necessarily sin like Adam, but we all sin because Adam sin. But notice something else here. Paul points out something. Do not lose this. He says that keeping the law doesn't bring salvation. He has talked about this for the last four chapters. The law won't save you. But notice what he says here in verse 14. Or verse 13, go there. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world. Sin was around before the law ever showed up. So from Adam to Moses in verse 14, death reigned because of Adam's sin. Not because of the law or breaking a specific law, death reigned. Death was the result of Adam's sin and the sins that you and I commit, even if they don't resemble Adam's sin. Adam's sin was disobeying God to his face. For you and me, that sin may not be the same, but it's still sin. And it's sin we wrestle with and sin we struggle with. And Paul's reminding us in these first few verses that for a thousand years, there was no law 
but man was still sinning and dying because of his sin. But when the law was added, when the law was added, the law went on to explain what those sins were that were being committed and why they were sinful. Why the sin was something to not fall into, why they were offensive. Because remember, we don't get the Ten Commandments, we don't get the law until the children of Israel are on their little expedition in the wilderness. So until God hands down the Ten Commandments, there was no law, but man was still dying because of sin. But because now the law is written, man can see what his sin is and knows when he commits a sin because of what is written in the law. Because God is showing us the seriousness of the offense, the seriousness of sin, and it drove God to show us and give us a plan for mercy and a plan to pardon us from our sin. Remember, sin is that deep discrepancy between who we are and what we were created to be. So the law points out my sin. It points out where I fail and replaces the responsibility on me and me alone because I broke that law. I committed that sin. But as Paul has said over and over again, the law is not the remedy. The law will not, will not save you. Keeping the Ten Commandments will not save you. Because I guarantee every one of us has broken at least one already this morning in some way, shape, or form. Because we are human. We make mistakes. But because the law doesn't save us, that's what we're counting on to get us into heaven. But here's why we have the law. This is why we have God's word. And I make the statement in your outline this morning. It's when we are convicted of sin, we must turn to Jesus Christ for healing. When I commit a sin, I'm to go to the Father and ask for forgiveness and allow him to heal me of that sin. That is the conflict we see here in Scripture. Notice what Adam doesn't do in Scripture. Did you ever pay attention to this thought for just a moment? Nowhere in the Genesis account do we see Adam going to God and saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. Adam never says those words. But God provides him a way to ask for forgiveness. But we never see Adam and Eve say, I'm sorry. We see the judgment and the consequences of their sin. And that is the conflict we still see in our world today because sin came into our lives because of Adam and his choice to sin against God. So there's the conflict. But thank God where there's conflict, we see hope. Because we go from conflict to contrast in our scripture. The conflict is the sin. The contrast is between the first Adam and the last Adam. Between Adam and Jesus Christ. Look with me starting in verse 15 of Romans chapter 5. But this free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many die, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. 
For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, which more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. What Adam lost, Jesus Christ restored. What Adam lost was a relationship to the Father. Jesus Christ restored that relationship. And what Paul's going to say over these next few verses, he's going to give us this contrast between what Adam did and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And the first contrast is this. We have trespass and we have gift. We have trespass and we have gift. We see Adam's negative impact on us. Scripture says many died. They died both physically, but they also died spiritually. In Scripture, we see the word many, and the word many can mean a number of things. So we must look at it in the context to kind of clarify what Paul's trying to tell us here. He's talking about the totality of mankind, many died. That is the negative impact of what Adam did. Adam's sin caused many to die in their sin, but Jesus, is, Jesus and his impact is positive. Where death came from one man, if you notice in that verse, it says grace overflowed. Grace came in verse 15. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one Jesus Christ abounded to many. Here's our reminder we think about this gift. Because Paul uses the word gift a number of times in this section of scripture. And here's this reminder. Salvation is offered to all, but people must receive it. Salvation is offered to all. You and I get to hear salvation given to us. We hear the gospel presented, but we choose whether to receive it. So scripture is showing the importance of seeing that, listen, this gift must be received. Listen, salvation is not universalism. Not everyone who hears the gospel is going to be saved. Think about that for a second. Everyone who hears the gospel will not be saved. They choose to receive the gift of salvation. They choose to receive this free gift. Salvation is offered to all, but many will not receive it. You and I must receive it as individuals. Listen, where Adam's sin, his transgressions was fatal, the gift that Jesus Christ gives us is life-giving and life-changing. And because of that gift, sin and death will not triumph over you believers. Believer, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you don't have to be afraid to die. Why? Because you get to spend eternity with the Father through the Son. That should cause all of us to lose our minds and say amen. It should. Because I don't have to be afraid to die. Do I want to die? No. I have no desire to die. I'll be quite honest with you. Listen, I'd be happy to see Jesus come over the cloud on that horse already. 
but that's not what's promised to me. What's promised is I'm going to spend eternity with him one way or the other. I'm going to see the resurrection. I'm going to be part of a resurrection because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's the gift that I choose to receive. That's the life-changing gift because sin and death do not triumph over me as a believer in Jesus Christ. And Jesus won't allow it because he rose from the grave. Jesus triumphed over death. And because of that, you and I can choose to receive this gift that is freely given for those who choose to receive it. So we see the trespass, we see gift, but then we see condemnation and justification. Those who are in their sin are condemned because of their sin. Adam's work resulted in condemnation. Him biting into that fruit brought condemnation to mankind. But the work of Jesus Christ resulted in justification. Because you've been justified through what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, you are called righteous because of his work and what he has done. And the thing is, we are under one of these two statutes. Either we are condemned because we're still living in our sin, or we are justified because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. As you study through the book of Romans, notice something here. Paul spends a lot of time talking about one's identity or status, who they are or whose they are. Because of the gospel, you and I get a new identity. We are a different person. Listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not in Adam, I'm in Christ. And that's kind of like changing locations. Think about this for a second. As a child of God entering into his promises and not living in the sin of this world, I go from living in a swamp to living in the palace because Jesus' kingdom is in that palace. I go from dying in quicksand because of sin to being on the rock and standing in his grace. I go from being in the Dead Sea where nothing can survive to being in paradise because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. That's what that new identity means. It means that I don't have to stay in this world because of the sin in this world, because I have a new location, I have a new identity because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, and I have been justified by the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse, think about verse 7 of chapter 1 of Romans. You don't have to turn over. Think about what, God, what, what Paul, I'm getting wound up, sorry. Think about what Paul said in Romans 1 verse 7. He said, we are loved by God. Why? Because we are his creation. He doesn't want to see anyone separated from him for eternity. He wants to see every person come to know him as Lord and Savior. But again, they choose to receive that free gift. So we see trespass and we see gift. We see condemnation. We see justification. But then we get to the big one, death and life. In verse 17, we see this, this death and this life. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. The evidence of this gift of righteousness is that you and I get to spend eternity with the Father forever. We don't have to continue to live in a world that is ruled by sin. We don't have to live in a world that is ruled by doing your own thing. Because of what Jesus did, we get to reign for eternity. And we have life now. We have life forever. 
as a believer now, I need to be sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with those I come in contact with. I need to be sharing his grace, his mercy, his love on a daily basis because that's what's to come and what we're going to experience when we're in his presence. And every one of us who's accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we've gone from death to life in Christ because of his finished work. Another contrast we see here is disobedience and obedience. Verses 18 through 19 say, Therefore, as, though, as through one man's off offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. We have all reaped the results of Adam's sin. We've all experienced the results. You and I have inherited his guilt, his shame, his sinful nature because of his sin. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we get to trade judgment for forgiveness. We get to trade God's judgment for the forgiveness we get to trade our sin for Jesus's righteousness. So Jesus gives us this opportunity to be born into a family that is a different family than my physical family. Yes, I have a physical family, but because I am born again, and I also have a spiritual family. I have brothers and sisters in Christ, and I have a family line that's going to go for eternity because of the forgiveness I experienced when I confessed my sins and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And because of that confession of sin, I know where I'm spending eternity. The question is, do you know where you're spending eternity? My prayer is that you know without a shadow of a doubt, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know where you're going to spend eternity because you have asked for your forgiveness of sin and asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. But if we don't do anything, if we never ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior, we experience death through Adam and he spend eternity separated because of the sin. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, we experience something totally different. We experience eternity with him in a place that we can't even describe, even though we have what it's going to look like in Scripture because of that free gift. So we've seen the conflict. We see what sin's done. We've seen the contrast between Adam's sin and Jesus' righteousness. But end with this third thought, the conclusion. Jesus has overcome. Verses 20 through 21 say this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Paul says these words in his letter to the church, the Jewish believers probably got a little bit of a jolt because they would have objected to everything he just said. Remember, the, the devout Jewish believer believes that if I keep the law, I'm in right standing with God and everything is resolved and everything is fine. But Paul says, no, that's not the case. Paul says there in verse 20, he says, the reason you have the law is so you can see your sin a little clearer, so you can see what you're doing wrong a little sharper. 
but he makes that statement where sin abounded, grace abounded more. So if grace abounded more, why have the law in the first place? Why have the Ten Commandments? Why have what they wrote in Deuteronomy and Leviticus? Why have all these statutes? Paul answers this question. He says the law entered that the offense might abound. He's saying it did not originate the sin, but it revealed the sin that is offensive to God. The statement in your outline says this, the law did not save from sin, but revealed sin in, it, in its awful character, in all of its awful character. The law shows me my sin because I can see it in black and white. I can see the words of that sin. Remember when we did that series last spring, the Big Ten, we talked about the significance of the Ten Commandments and why it's still relevant for the believer today. When the Ten Commandments were written, man could actually see what his sin was and still chooses to either break it or follow God's commands. So because of this, the law came not to save us from sin, but to show us where we are committing the sin. But grace, the grace that God gives, the grace we read about there in verse 20, it says, where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. This grace is greater than all a man's sin. Think about it. We sang this song, grace, grace. What kind of grace? Marvelous grace. It's a grace we can't explain. It's a grace that words can't describe. It's a grace we receive that's so much better than the law that we cannot keep. And because of this grace, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, in Christ, grace reigns over us because we have been declared righteous. We have been declared justified because of the finished work on the cross. So we can live with assurance. We can live with boldness. We can share the good news because of the grace we've experienced. As we've read through the entirety of chapter 5 of the book of Romans over the last two weeks, notice how the chapter starts and how the chapter ends. Go back to chapter 5, verse 1 of this chapter. Go back to verse 1 and look how it starts. And notice what Paul writes here. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only way you and I experience peace with God is through Jesus Christ. That's in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now look at the end of verse 21 of chapter 5. And look what Paul writes. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The peace that you experience, the grace you experience, the eternal life that you experience is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, you and I have victory over sin and death because of that victory that has been won on the cross. So we are no longer a child of sin, a child of a slave to sin. But we are in actuality a child of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us today, tomorrow, and every day of our lives. Every head bowed and every eye closed. 
in a moment, we're going to sing a very familiar hymn. The hymn is Just As I Am. But as we're singing this song this morning, where are you in your relationship to Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning? My prayer is, is yes. But even in a group of this size this morning, you, that cannot be said with all assurance. My prayer is that you do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But if you don't know him, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're still under Adam. And he's ruling over you because of the sin he committed. But through Jesus Christ, you can enter from darkness to light. Through Jesus Christ, you can experience forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, you can anticipate what's to come. This morning, my prayer is that you would do business with God. Whether it be at this altar, asking Jesus to be Lord of your life, asking him to forgive you of the sins you struggle with. My prayer is that you do business this morning. Even though we're doing things just a little bit different today, my prayer is that you would still use this time to do business with God and him alone. Father, as we move into this time of response, this time of invitation, Father, may we not just go through the motions of singing a song, but, Father, we would allow you to speak to our hearts this morning to understand the conflict that is still in this world, the conflict of sin and the redemption through your Son and the finished work of the cross. That, Father, we would see that there is conflict between those who choose to live in their sin and those who choose to live in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, as we come to this moment of the service, we sing with boldness because Jesus Christ has overcome sin and death and given us a victory that we cannot obtain by ourselves. So again, my prayer this morning during this specific time in the service is that your will will be done, whatever that is. That, Father, you would allow us as individuals to open our hearts and allow us to let you speak truth into our lives. And Father, you would use this time to glorify you and you alone. We simply ask this in your son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.